Hello and welcome to Map Bites, episode 150. I'm Elaine Giles and I'm here with my co-host Mike Thomas. In this episode, we have Apple notably jumping a rather wobbly shark. But first, oh, news of Biggles. Not generally Biggles, no. The installations of Biggles at MacBytes headquarters. A week in, how are we doing with Biggles? Well, I mentioned last time that the calendar app was fixed. A week on, and it's still good. Including notifications, which never really worked that well on Catalina. Even better is a workflow that I had had in place for years that broke in Catalina is now back working again. That involved a workflow printing to a PDF. All the elements needed to make it work were there. It just wasn't working in Catalina. So my workflow was I would press Command and P to display the print dialog. I had mapped Option and S to save as PDF. And I did that in the Keyboard System Preferences panel. With no help whatsoever from me, it's working again. So... 12 months without it, and it's back. Even better is the support for WebP images. Increasingly used on the internet as a lightweight and high-quality file format, but not supported in QuickLook or Preview on Catalina and earlier. Your only option if you had a WebP file and you happened to have Affinity Photo was to use Affinity Photo to convert them into either JPEGs or PNGs. Now, in Biggles, they are supported in both Preview and QuickLook. Is it sacrilege to say I'm quite liking Biggles? I'm going to need smelling salts at this rate. Me too, I can assure you. Well, I had fun over the weekend with my Mac. On Saturday, I was putting together some notes for a presentation that I'm delivering to the London Excel user group when the entire machine locked up. It was totally unresponsive. I couldn't drag windows around. I couldn't click anywhere. It wouldn't respond to force quit keyboard command. The only option was to turn it off and on again. I put it down as a one-off until it happened again during Saturday nights by request on Brooklyn's 196. And then again and again and again on Sunday. Sometimes the whole Mac would just lock up and I'd have no option but to turn it off and on again. Sometimes it would actually just reboot itself. My first thought was actually to blame Biggles, as I'd Biggles six days earlier. But I'd had no problems between then and the Saturday. Then I blamed the new version of Bartender that I'd just installed. In fact, I blamed anything. I was like an angry and wounded animal, lashing out at any application that came to my mind. And then common sense prevailed, and we started troubleshooting. First thing I did was unplug the external drive and rebooted. And that seemed to work. I was able to work for about 20 minutes until it locked up again. So I rebooted again. I then made sure all my apps were up to date and I uninstalled some apps that were no longer supported by Biggles. Things like App Delete and Bartender 3. And 20 minutes later, guess what? It locked up again. So I rebooted, went to bed and just left it running. It lasted about 30 minutes before rebooting itself again. In stealth mode, I might add, completely silent. I only knew as I'd made it my business to check. To rule out an account issue, I created another user account. I made it an admin account and I booted the machine into it. I ran no applications at all. Another 30 minutes later, it crashed again. So, not the account then. 
I then rebooted into the original account and deleted the test account. Monday morning, I got up. It was fine. I started working on it and after 15-20 minutes, it locked up. So I did a reboot, carried on working. It locked up again, did another reboot. Bit of a rinse and repeat here. I then had to leave it for an hour whilst I was delivering some training. And when I finished the training, I went and checked it out and it was still up and running. And then I had a thought, could it be Windows? During that hour, when I was training, I deliberately not started Parallels and my Windows virtual machine. So I fired up my virtual machine and 15 minutes later, I checked the Mac and it had rebooted itself. I had a look on Parallels forum and somebody mentioned a problem with a Windows update. And that set me thinking, did my Windows need updating? It did. So I started the update, came back 15 minutes later, and the Mac had rebooted itself during the Windows update. So I was beginning to suspect it was a corrupt Windows virtual machine. I apologised to Biggles and Bartender and all those other innocent Mac apps that I slandered. I copied the 45 gig VM from my other Mac, which had also been Biggles and was showing no symptoms across to the Mac with the problem. And since then, it's all been hunky-dory. So I think it's safe to say Biggles has been a bit of a ride. We've lost a couple of things as well. The loss of support for bootable external drives is a major loss as far as I'm concerned. I have three iMacs running on the life support of an external hard drive. If you're going to stop support for that, you really need to ensure that the hard drives stop dying within hours, literally hours of the Apple Care expiring, which has been my experience three times. The other drive that failed, luckily that was within hours of the Apple Care expiring, but you know, out of five iMacs, four have had hard drives that have died. Hard drives have clearly always been a nightmare on iMacs. I loved the support for the sysadmin tricks when I first moved to a Mac. Target disk mode and all of that. It was wonderful. Apple would be much happier now if we kept our toys in a glass case and didn't actually touch them. Another issue for me, and probably nobody else on the planet, is Quick Look and its support, or rather lack of support, for hosted images. So when I write an email, I do it in Scrivener and then compile it to HTML from there. Since any images have to be linked to, I need to check that the URLs for those links are actually working and that the images are visible. For years, I've done that with Quick Look. I Quick Look the exported HTML file and I could see the compiled results of the export together with any referenced images. Now, there are no images displayed whatsoever for me. It looks like they've dropped Quick Look support for externally hosted images. Thanks for that, Apple. Another workflow made more difficult. The only rationale for doing that would be to make the Quick Look process faster by choosing not to load remote images. But that's like making a hot chocolate drink much faster by having it cold. Way to go, Apple. Now, several of you contacted us after our show on storage options. If you recall, this was Jane Space Race and the Three Foot Toblerone. And we covered all kinds of storage options. And those contacting us had mentioned NAS storage and asked if we deployed it. And the short answer is no. The longer answer needs to include the reasons why. 
I think it goes back to Drobo and how universally that was welcomed back in the day. And the idea was great. It was cost effective. It was data was secured. The data was spread across multiple hard drives in an array. If and when a drive failed, you would simply swap out the bad drive, replace it with a new one. And over time, the data would regenerate from the remaining good drives. All was well. Well, for a while, it actually was. It seemed like the perfect solution until the Drobo hardware started to fail. Now, the usual single point of failure in a data storage system is the individual drives. But we've already discussed if it's an individual drive, then you just replace the drive. But in Drobo, the single point of failure was the actual Drobo unit itself. If it was a one off, fair enough. But worldwide, Drobo units were failing. Drobo did send out some replacements to many of those affected, but not everybody. So I think it really depended on how vehemently you complained. But the only solution for those without a replacement unit was to purchase another Drobo unit. So at that point, their Drobo has failed, but the drives that were in it are OK. But to get the data off it, you needed to put those drives in another Drobo unit. Individually, they couldn't, the data that was on them could not be accessed. Now, that situation rumbled on for a long time. That and my own experiences with other single points of failure put me off completely. My main issue wasn't to do with drives failing or NAS units failing. It was Lassie drives. There'd be like a noise. I had quite a few of these drives. There'd be a noise and then the drive would just disappear. The light would go off on the drive and that was it. And it, you could not get that drive to spin up again. The first time I thought, well, it's the drive, isn't it? The second time I thought, hmm, I wonder if it's the drive. The third time I'm thinking this isn't good. <laughs> These things were popping like anything. So I then came to the conclusion as I looked at it, I thought, I wonder if it's not the drive. So I then took like a, a good power supply that I knew was a good one and plugged in these three broken, massive air quotes, drives, and they weren't broken. It was the power supply. There was absolutely nothing wrong with the drives themselves, but they were useless without a compatible power supply. All these failures of Lassie drives drove the price up until you couldn't get a replacement power supply for under £100. Ever since that, I won't buy any drive without seeing a photo of the back of it. And I want to confirm that the power supplies have a standard connector that I can replace for less than £20. Or in my case, I think I've got about five drawers full of them. So what I do is I will have drives on my shelf, but they're not actually attached and they have no power supply with them. They are the backup drives. So what I will do is I will have a spare power supply and a spare cable and I'll rotate the drives round as I'm doing backups. So I always have spare power supplies, spare cables, the lot. So I consider the issue with the Lassie drives similar to what was happening with the Drobos. And I don't like that idea of that single point of failure. It's just a personal thing, but I'm not happy with that. I would much rather buy two standard drives every time I buy one and then just mirror the two together. It's easier. My other tactic, of course, is to use cloud storage more and more. So I had transitioned almost completely, you know, little tiny exceptions, but almost completely to Google Drive in 2018. That was when I transferred my calendars to Google and did away with the iCloud stuff. 
But over time, I've actually got more storage space on Dropbox. So rather than extend the Google Drive storage I would need and pay for more, I might as well use the storage I've got on Dropbox. I mean, I've got three terabytes, so I've got more than enough. And the reason that I've got three terabytes, obviously, it what didn't come manna from heaven free of charge. I pay for the three terabyte option, but not particularly for the amount of storage. I pay for other features. In particular, the ability to annotate with timestamps, audio and video. That's critical to what I do. You can only get that on the account that gives you three terabytes. So rather than juggle one terabyte on Google Drive, I'm now using SmartSync in Dropbox. I've also got space on Box. I've got pCloud. I've got OneDrive and I've got S3. The whole thing, all of those online services are held together with Cloud Mounter. Now, you will not get me arguing that a NAS isn't a good solution because there are occasions where it can be a great solution. The way to do it effectively, efficiently and with complete redundancy is to have two of the NAS devices. So twins in two separate locations. And that is perfect. So if you do happen to have a friend that you could swap with where they've got um a backup of your data at their location. You've got a backup of theirs at your location. That is absolutely perfect. What I've got for me works. So why would I add another level of management to something that's already working? And the answer to that is I won't. I'm also so over spending a huge percentage of my time on system management. It's something that I got qualified with, with Microsoft as a systems engineer. Done for a living, do not have any desire to go back to it. I just want the files that I need, where I need them, when I need them, and that's it. I don't want any management. I don't want to have to think about if this fails or that fails. If a drive fails, it's simple. Bin it, get another one. End of end of story. But that's just my opinion. I know many, many of you out there are happy with your NASes, and that's great. It's just not for me. I know it's not. I've got enough to manage with the cabled network, the wireless network, the Internet and anything that Apple bring out that breaks on a regular basis. But just wanted to address the fact that many of you contacted me and mentioned that, said it's something maybe I could look at. Um, I actually think for what I do, no, no, it's not the storage of the data. I have huge amounts of data, but it's very transient data. It's I've got this massive recording that I've done. So maybe I've done like four hours of something and I've got a 300 gig file to, to muster to manage from the hard drive to, to a backup drive. But eventually when that's processed, they're all binned. So then I end up with smaller files and then they go up in a cloud somewhere. So it's not that I'm squirreling away and trying to manage thousands of files, particularly I do a job and then it gets archived off and then I do another job and that gets archived off. So that's just the way I work. But let me know. What's your preference? What would you rather do? I mean, obviously, it'd be nice, wouldn't it? You just get an iMac or, or something similar. Oh, a cheese grater Mac. Don't get me going. They were beautiful. Uh, something that had oodles of uh, storage. That would be nice, wouldn't it? I am. I'm thinking that cheese grater Mac. We just took the side off and pop another drive in. Oh, it was beautiful. That soon, one day. Who knows? So let's move on. Remember when Apple explained Bumpergate by telling us we were holding it wrong? Remember when Apple explained Bendgate by redefining what straight meant? They're at it again. Jellygate 
the jelly scrolling issue isn't a fault. It's a feature. Yes, Apple assure us it's intended to do that. Seriously? Jump to the shark much? I can just imagine what they'd be saying if Samsung had the temerity to claim the same thing. What happened to buttery smooth? Performance shouldn't get worse with each iteration. These kinds of shenanigans just make me think less of you, Apple. It's disingenuous wriggling on the hook. It shows no integrity or consideration for users. Now, obviously, they could just be buying time before they roll out the fix. But quite frankly, I'm sick of all the smoke and mirrors pretending that there's nothing actually wrong by redefining what wrong means. So remember, folks, it's not Apple. It's you. You'll doubtless recall the great epic Apple lawsuit. It came to a conclusion a few weeks back. Now, when I say a conclusion, in litigation, that's a flexible concept. If you've ever read Dickens' Bleak House, you may remember a similar epic battle. See what I did there? Epic. It was the case of Jarndyce and Jarndyce. The quote I love regarding this monster of a case goes as follows. Jarndyce and Jarndyce drones on. This scarecrow of a suit has, over the course of time, become so complicated that no man alive knows what it means. The parties to it understand it least, but it has been observed that no two chancery lawyers can talk about it for five minutes without coming to a total disagreement as to all the premises. Innumerable children have been born into the cause. Innumerable young people have married into it. Innumerable old people have died out of it. Scores of persons have deliriously found themselves made parties in Jarndyce and Jarndyce without knowing how or why. Whole families have inherited legendary hatreds with the suit. The little plaintiff or defendant who was promised a new rocking horse when Jarndyce and Jarndyce should be settled has grown up, possessed himself of a real horse and trotted away into the other world. Fair wards of court have faded into mothers and grandmothers. A long procession of chancellors has come in and gone out. Mm. He could just have described Epic versus Apple, couldn't he? I know what you're thinking, though. It was settled a few weeks back, with both sides claiming victory, no less. Yes, Apple put out a press release claiming victory. In truth, though, who won varies with which website you read, as we pointed out in previous coverage of this story. Epic appealed against the outcome last week, but this week, Apple have also appealed the outcome. For crying out loud, Apple. Yet again, game playing and little integrity on show. If you're going to appeal something, then don't claim you won in the first place. A first year law student can tell you that if you won, you have no right to appeal. Why would you? So clearly, you didn't win on every point which we all pointed out at the time. The phrase couldn't lie straight in bed springs to mind. Apple are only appealing, of course, to put off the date by which they must make changes to the App Store payment systems. So let's get this cleared up for anyone completely confused. If you win a case, you have no right to appeal the judgment. If you lose a case, you might have the right to appeal subject to the judge not barring that appeal or the decision having been made by the final court in the litigation process. 
I have a deeply entrenched dread this is going to run and run, with Apple misunderstanding the basics of litigation. This week in Back to Basics, I'm looking at Notes. The challenge was to use the built-in Notes app on both mobile and desktop. Now, I'm not into the theoretical side of Notes, like you are. To me, there's Notes I want to keep long-term, and there's Post-it type Notes that can be binned once they've been dealt with. What do I mean by long-term notes? Well, just looking through some of my notes before recording this, I mean things like SQL commands for extracting blog post titles from the WordPress MySQL databases, and how to configure Outlook to display only tasks due today. I don't use Outlook anymore as a task manager, but that sort of stuff is always handy to keep. How to reset the PRAM on a Mac? Those kind of instructions are always good to have handy. When I say short-term notes, I mean things like the theme for Saturday nights by request and the songs that people request. Before posting the theme to WhatsApp and Facebook, I type up what I'm going to say as a note and I can then copy and paste the text to WhatsApp and Facebook. I also use the same note to collect requests during the week. We get requests via email, Facebook and of course WhatsApp. And although they all end up in the famous by request spreadsheet, it's easier to copy and paste into there from a single source rather than trudging through a load of emails and WhatsApp messages. Not forgetting Kath's rev story, of course. That needs copying out of WhatsApp in case it gets lost amongst all the chatter. Once that week's buy request show is over, the note gets deleted. I've used a number of notes apps over the years. Evernote, OneNote, Notion, Scrivener, Ulysses, Drafts. As I said, this isn't an all-you-need-to-know-about-notes apps. We'll save that for another day. Despite not actively using Evernote, I actually still have notes in it. Same with OneNote. So I treat those apps as read-only or archive notes. I currently use Drafts for short-term notes. I use Scrivener for webinar and training course notes and demo instructions because it's easy to rearrange the sections or scrivenings as they're called. Ulysses for blog posts because it integrates with WordPress so I can publish with a couple of clicks and Notion for everything else. So back to the challenge. Could I use Apple Notes for a week? Well, if I limited my use of Apple Notes to being for short-term notes as an alternative to drafts, then the answer was yes. If, however, I had to use Apple Notes instead of Ulysses or Scrivener or Notion, then there'd be a different outcome. Let's start with Ulysses, which, as I said, I really only use for writing blog posts, and that's because I can publish from it directly to WordPress with a couple of clicks. Apple Notes doesn't have this functionality, so using it as a replacement for Ulysses for creating blog posts is a non-starter. Having said that, Apple Notes supports different types of content. Headings, rich text, bulleted and numbered lists, tables and images. So it is a more than capable tool for creating written content. It just doesn't do what Ulysses can do in the publishing to WordPress department. My next challenge was to see whether I could use Apple Notes instead of Scrivener. I use Scrivener to store my webinar and training course notes. I have a separate Scrivener file for each webinar or course, and within each file, I have multiple Scrivenings. If you're not familiar with a Scrivening, have you not been keeping up with Elaine's Scrivener series on After Hours? 
A scrivening is a section of a Scrivener file. In my case, I have a scrivening for the introduction, which contains a bulleted list of points that I want to make as I talk over my slides. And then I have one scrivening per demo. Each scrivening contains the step-by-step -step instructions for that demo. If you've been following along with Elaine's Scrivener series on After Hours, you'll know how powerful the Compile feature is, but it's not a feature that I use. I understand what Compile does, but I don't need to compile my notes into Word or PDF format. When I'm delivering a webinar or course, I'll either have the Scrivener file open on another monitor or on my iPad so that I can refer to my notes directly from Scrivener. I tried to replicate the Scrivener structure in Apple Notes by using folders. A folder was the equivalent of a Scrivener file, and a note became the equivalent of a Scrivening. It did work well, apart from not being able to manually rearrange the order of the notes within a folder. With Scrivener, I can drag and drop to restructure the order of the Scrivenings, which is useful if I need to change the order of the demos. With Apple Notes, you can change the order of the notes, but only by date edited, date created, or A to Z on title. So my conclusion there was that there was no way I could replace Scrivener with Apple Notes. Next up was Notion. Now, let's not be silly. There's no way that I could replace Notion with Apple Notes. For a start, the two work totally differently. Although Notes supports tagging in iOS 15, it's basic, and there's certainly no support for the type of metadata properties that we use in Notion. So to try and compare Notion with Notes, to me, it's like comparing apples and oranges. Most importantly, Notion is where we store all our shared information. And although Apple Notes does allow you to share notes, we'd have to share each and every note individually, and that would drive us mad. So on to Craft. Craft was a yes and no. We have a shared area in Craft, so from that point of view, it wouldn't have worked. But I also use Craft for stuff of my own. My primary use for Craft is typing up notes for MacBytes that will eventually end up in Notion. Why not type straight into Notion? Because Notion doesn't have an offline mode, and more than once, both of us have had problems accessing our content when Notion has suffered an outage. But because Craft has an offline mode where it stores a copy of the content locally, our content is always available. So could I replace Craft with Apple Notes? Well, the notes that are made for this piece, they were actually typed into Apple Notes as a list of bullets, and then I copied and pasted those into Notion. Now, as I said earlier, I've been using drafts for all my short-term notes recently, but for the last week, I deliberately used Apple Notes on both the Mac and the iPhone. It wasn't that much of a problem, to be honest, especially on the iPhone, as both apps are on the dock, so it was as simple to tap one as to tap the other. And you might be wondering why I've not mentioned taking notes on the iPad. Well, I can't remember when I last did that. Well, actually, I can. It was about 18 months ago at a meeting, which coincidentally was probably the last time that I left the house. If I'm watching a video or reading something where I need to take notes, I'm much more likely to be doing it on a computer. And when my Apple Pencil went missing for several months, well, actually, it didn't go missing. It was in a drawer. I just didn't know which drawer it was in. I didn't miss it. So how do I feel after using the Notes app for a week? Well, I won't be using it for writing blog posts. I'll be sticking with Ulysses for that with its one-click publish. I won't be using it for webinar and training notes because Scrivener is much more flexible. And I won't be using it for shared long-term information storage because that's what Notion is for. 
but I will be using it for short-term notes and for drafting things. As I say, notes are the drafts killer. No! Drafts is so much more than that. If you're using drafts at a basic level, then I guess you could use Apple Notes instead. But if you're used to using all of the advanced features of drafts, then I think you'd really struggle to cope with only Apple Notes. The key to drafts is to use the actions. Advanced and custom actions are part of the subscription, but you can get quite a lot done with the standard actions. So a use case example would be you type up a text in Apple Notes and now you need to get it to the Messages app. Obviously, it's not that arduous to copy it in the Apple Notes app and then paste it into Messages, but it can be fiddly to make the selection. And given Drafts has a swipe-in panel that does the whole job with a double tap, why wouldn't you use Drafts? That's the strength of Drafts. Obviously, it doesn't have the handwriting like Apple Notes, it's text only. But for me, it's horses for courses. I use many different apps and I focus on the strength of each of those apps. Apple Notes is certainly much better than it was on its initial release, but it does suffer from what I like to call Apple Syndrome. What's that? Well, it's the forced update system that they compel you to follow. So I have a range of Apple Kit, some of it quite long in the tooth now, but it's still perfectly functional for specific jobs. But Apple deliberately stops supporting those older devices, informing you that you need to update. But while informing you about the need to update, it also tells you in the dialog box that certain devices can't be updated. So if I have an iPhone, for example, an iPhone 6 Plus, it can only go up to a certain level of iOS and Apple Notes is not supported on that particular version of iOS anymore. So while the device is functional and technically Apple Notes is on the device, it's not going to synchronise because Apple have decided that it shouldn't. Other apps will probably be fine with older devices. It's just not Apple's way of working. So your only option on those devices will be to use Apple Notes in a browser. <laughs> mm. And having tried it on a Biggles machine, I can't recommend that. The notes in the cloud were months out of date. I had missing notes. I had folders that I'd created quite recently that were showing as unnamed. Basically, it was a nightmare. So. I'll be using anything other than Apple Notes. With every new operating system, there's always the danger of something being Sherlocked. Sherlocked or Sherlocking means the features of a fantastic app being subsumed into the OS. A linked danger is that the app will never work again, rendering it useless by something that's been changed in the operating system. We've all had some of those. One of the apps I always feel nervous for is Bartender. Bartender was originally released in early 2012 with a sole function to hand you control over the icons on your Mac menu bar. Bartender has been a godsend these past nine years. As more and more apps offer the option or even insist on adding icons to the menu bar, thus increases your need to control it all. I purchased the upgrade to Bartender 4, which is needed for macOS Big Sur last year when I updated my MacBook Air. Now, Bartender was in beta at the time and not having much time to fiddle, I installed it. I hid the icons I didn't want constantly displayed and went about my business. A year on and with Big Sur, 
biggles to you and I, deployed on my main production machine, it was time to take another look as I configured everything. Bartender 4 is a huge improvement over Bartender 3. It's got three levels of display options for icons, which is a game changer for my minimalist soul. You may feel differently if you're one of those badge of honour wearing people for the number of icons that you have in your menu bar. Maybe you don't want to be minimal, but minimal is where it's at for me. Minimal doesn't mean less functional, though. It means only seeing or accessing the icons you need when you need them. The entire menu bar area I find is much more functional or at least less overwhelming when the contents are glanceable. For example, to check the date or the time. It's far easier to see that without the other 30 icons sat there. Now, I'd already had a battle royal with the new options. Gone is the old notification centre icon. We now have the control centre icon and the date time display, neither of which can be turned off. But changing the clock to analogue and turning the date off shrinks the pair of icons to at least an acceptable size. There's an extra icon required to provide feedback as to the DND status, but that to me is another backward step. Previously, the notification icon just dimmed. Now you've got to have another icon, the half moon. But other than the immovable two, Bartender gives you control over all of the rest of the icons. Now, I mentioned that Bartender has three levels of display options for icons. This is configured in the options. The first level is just to show the icon. Bartender leaves it alone. The second level is that Bartender displays the icon in its menu bar. And the third option is to hide the icon completely. So I sat and I pondered carefully at what level should each icon be set. Then I had a brainwave. The ability to use a shortcut key to access the icons controlled by Bartender was a game changer. The feature is called Quick Search. Think Alfred, but only searching the icons in your menu bar. This means irrespective of which level you place the icons, they're available via the Quick Search function. I now have no extra icons on my menu bar at all. In fact, I've taken it one step further than I ever thought possible. I don't even have the bartender icon displayed. I don't need it for two reasons. One, there's an option to activate bartender by clicking anywhere in the menu. And two, there's a single shortcut key to activate the quick search. It's complete genius. Bartender was already essential, but with this update, it's even better. I'd long wished to have the ability to create sets of options that could be deployed en masse without the need to toggle each item on or off. My use case was for changing the configuration as I was recording or delivering a live session. But now that isn't needed because the quick search solves the problem. I have one single set of options and I use the quick search to access every icon. I mentioned clicking the menu bar anywhere on the menu bar to be able to activate Bartender. That's one option. Another option is to set it that you just have to hover over the menu bar. Now, that's the default, but it was a little bit too much for me. You can change the length of time you have to hover, but I don't particularly want my mouse to move to an area of my screen and something unexpected happen when I'm recording tutorials. So that one had to go. I did make one change, which is 
In Bartender 3 and previous, the extra icons appeared on the menu bar itself. So clicking on the Bartender icon made the extra hidden icons appear on the menu. There is now an option to have them showing underneath in a separate Bartender menu. And I much prefer that option. So I did turn that one on. But if there's one app that you need to bring Zen to your interface, it's Bartender. It's a complete bargain at about £15 or £6 for an update. I can't recommend it highly enough. It is definitely a five golden bites app. Oh, who remembers the golden bites? That's a blast from the past. So moving on to a hardware review. Bit of a strange one, given it's a cable, but not just any cable. Oh, no. It's a 10 meter USB repeater cable. What's a USB repeater cable? Well, it's also called an active extension cable. 10 meters long. The idea of it is you need to mitigate the signal loss inherent with using longer cables. So a repeater cable is an active cable. It ensures that the signal strength is carried along the length of the cable, in this case, an extra 10 metres. I initially bought this to use with my scanner. A long story. Remember the Fujitsu scanner driver issue? Yeah, that. So I had the scanner close to me so I could use it, but I needed the cable to stretch quite away to the computer it was actually attached to, which was not the one I was working at. Anyway, that was the idea. But first time I used it, it was actually for a microphone. It was your fault. Yes, Mike managed to book a training session that clashed with an Apple event. It was due to start, the training that was, at exactly the same time as the Apple event. Something that's happened several times since. Anyway, the webinar companies do like Mike to attend a little earlier. So what would have been nice was that Mike could carry on doing his thing while I watched the Apple event. And we could have done that in the same room. But no, because the webinar companies do like to do what I called a can you hear me mother moment, usually about 10 minutes before the scheduled start time. If you're wondering where that phrase came from, it was an old music hall comedian called Sandy Powell. My grandmother loved him, so I heard that a lot was that when I was growing up. Can you hear me, mother? <laughs> anyway, said can you hear me mother moment would have clashed with our fun in the MacBytes Live. Now, while entertaining in its own right, it wasn't intended to be the evening's primary amusement. I needed my iMac in the studio to broadcast the audio. Mike needed his iMac for the training session. What were we to do? Toss for it. Well, indeed. But that would have meant tears before bedtime for one of us. No, I had a plan. It involved my MacBook Air for the chat and said 10 meter USB extension for the microphone. At the appointed time, I headed off to the MacBytes bedroom, trailing 10 metres of the USB cable behind me. The microphone was still tethered to my office-bound iMac. Now, the last time the MacBytes bedroom starred in the show, it was about buzzing in the bedroom. But I'm happy to report there was none of that this time. It all worked perfectly. Well, if you ignore me nearly breaking my neck on the cable on the return journey. These cables aren't as expensive as I would have expected. Uh, I paid somewhere between 12 to 15 pounds for this 10 meter one. It's worth having in for those moments when you do need to deploy a USB device in your bedroom.
Or, more seriously, when any USB device needs to be deployed further away from your computer than a standard length USB cable is going to be happy with. Sometimes the fault on a standard cable is so insidious, it can just be like, oh, that printout doesn't look great, or there's a buzzing on that microphone. Um, but use an, uh, one of these active extension cables and it just repeats the signal down the line so you don't have any dropouts, any issues at all with it. I must admit, I was a bit sceptical with a microphone. I thought maybe it'd be fine with a printer, probably okay with a scanner, but I thought a microphone's really pushing it. But no, it was fine. So I was um, somewhat surprised. So it's something that I've got in, I keep in the drawer. I now don't need a cable that long for the scanner, but it's something that is actually handy to have in, even if we take the whole kit and caboodle downstairs with laptops and stuff um, and lounge in the extension where three metres is probably just a little bit too short. So I would even use this repeater extension in circumstances where maybe I could get away with a shorter cable just to be sure that it's got as, as much power as it can possibly have and it will be fine. And this one worked really well. So I'll put a link in the show notes for it. As I say, just something to have in. If you don't have a particular need for it right now, just to have in. But if you do have that need where you want to place something somewhere else, then it's absolutely perfect. Uh, it's good quality cable. Um, I think mine was sheathed with plastic on the outside, but it's one of those things where it was semi-translucent and you could actually see the cable. One thing with cables like that is they can be very thick and inflexible, but this one's not at all bad. So it's got on the end of it a standard USB plug on one end, a standard USB socket on the other, and you plug your extension into it. Whatever cable you've already got, you plug it in uh, and then you're good to go. So nothing else needed, no drivers, nothing like that. It just works. Oh, remember the days when stuff just worked. You know, reminiscing now. But as I say, something that I can highly recommend you have in your toolkit. We're going live again on Friday with MacBytes After Hours. We have more on the updates to the iWork apps. The results of the Real World Affinity Publisher from last week. Mike's delving even deeper into the Excel data model. We've been doing a deep dive of our own in the Mastering Scrivener series. And this week is our first full session on the compile feature. Compile is where the magic happens. You can create virtually any kind of output from your Scrivener file. But the key is to understanding and mastering compile. As I say, this session is our first full session on Compile, so don't miss it. We're also going to be sharing the joy of RSS, a topic suggested by MacBiter Jonathan. So do join us. Wouldn't be the same without you. Friday night, nine o'clock UK time. Stop the presses. In fact, don't worry, we already had. We were expecting an announcement from Apple regarding their next event, and it came in just in time to include it in the show. Apple's next event will be next Monday at 6pm UK time, which is 1pm Eastern and 10am Pacific. It's titled Unleashed. We can only hope. What is more exciting is that we'll be covering the event with a great MacBytes Live, starting an hour earlier at 5pm UK time. All our excitement will be happening on MacBytes.fm. We will have chat. We will have new toys. We will have more chat. 
And depending on the new toys, we may have bankruptcies as well. What we would love to see is you all joining us for some guaranteed MacBytes fun. So don't miss it. 5pm UK time on Monday, the 18th of October. And if you're doing the MacBytes marathon in the future, that's October 2021. Well, that's it for this episode of MacBytes. As always, we would love to hear from you. So please send your questions, comments and queries by email to the crew at macbytes.co.uk or use the contact form on the website. We also have a very active Slack chat room that's open 24-7. Simply go to macbytes.co.uk slash Slack and join the conversation. You can follow MacBytes on Twitter at twitter.com slash MacBytes. You can follow me personally on Twitter at twitter.com slash Elaine Giles. And I'm on Twitter at twitter.com slash Thomas Mike. And you can follow me at twitter.com slash MacBytesiri. So until next time, this has been Elaine and Mike bringing you MacBytes. Goodbye. Goodbye and see you next time. I see we have yet another Apple event on Monday. We do. You do realize that means we have to work overtime. Of course I do. We don't get paid any extra for it either. We don't get paid full stop. Actually, that's very true. Should we go on strike? Maybe, but not this week. Why not this week? This is the week they're expecting us to do extra work. Next week would be better. Why what's happening next week? Nothing. Well, nothing after the event on Monday anyway. Well, what's the use of that? I vote for this week. I just feel we should be very helpful this week. Are you ill or something? No, I just don't want to upset anything they may have planned this week. You're up to something. Me? No. I know you better than that, Spillboy. Well, it's just that they might have important plans for Thursday. What's so special about Thursday? You mean you don't know? Haven't they said anything to you about Thursday? My lips are sealed. I'd tell you. No, you wouldn't. Well, maybe not. But even so, I'm gutted now. Why? Because it seems they've forgotten. Trust me when I say they haven't forgotten. Who could ever forget the day you arrived at MacBytes HQ? And this year is a big birthday. You're 10. I am. Does that mean there's a huge party planned then?